0: Hello, welcome back, Surf Splendor listeners. I'm your host, David Scales, as always. Appreciate you uh, tuning back in for an all new episode. I will keep it brief and uh, just say thank you for all the feedback about last week's episode with Chaz Smith, the famed surf writer and co founder of beachgrit.com. Um, really great feedback from that episode. Everybody seemed to like Chaz a lot more than they expected to, which was exactly my feeling as well after interviewing Chaz. So he is welcome on the show at any time. I will extend that invite to him. Love to give get his feedback just on surf news topics that come up throughout the year. So um, hopefully we'll be able to do that again. And then in regard to today's episode, slightly different format. It is surf news with Scott Bass, but we take the first uh, 45 minutes of the show and interview I kind of let Scott take the lead and interview uh, Mark Price, who is the CEO of Firewire Surfboards, regarding the rumors that we started, basically, about Kelly Slater potentially purchasing the company or a majority share in the company anyways. So Mark addresses those rumors. You get the info straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. and, um, And also, Scott was a little... Unsure on the Firewire construction when we uh, had our last show two weeks ago. So we wanted to invite Mark in to just kind of explain what the product is and the the technology is uh, from soup to nuts, so to speak. So enjoy that. If you're interested to listen to Mark's interview, it consists of the first 44 and a half minutes of the show, about 45 minutes. So, um, enjoy that. And then if you want to go straight into surf news, just scrub it forward to the 45 minute Mark. And, uh, the, the following 45 minutes is all just surf news as per usual. All right. Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media. If you care to follow, uh, it's just at surf splendor. And then I'll be back at the end of the show to sign us off. Thanks
1: yeah guy welcome everybody down the line surf talk radio it is february 3rd it's a tuesday here in southern california we're broadcasting live from the shack library surfing heritage and culture center library there is uh a plethora of books, and we're in this beautiful conference room. And we're very pleased, David Lee Scales, good morning. Morning. We're very pleased to say that we have a very special guest with us, Mark Price, the Chief Executive Officer of Firewire Surfboards. Mark, welcome. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Dave. And Mark's here basically because um, last episode, two weeks ago, David and I were talking about firewire surfboards, and David pointedly said, "Scott, you should know everything about firewire surfboards." <laughs> so tell me what is the construction process, and I, quite frankly, was um, stammering trying to, um, you know, lay down the, um, you know, the build process, what exactly a firewire surfboard is made of, um, how they're made. Now. Since then, specifically this morning, I researched the hell out of it so that I'd be somewhat prepared. and um, It was really a lot of the same stuff that I, I did comment on. I don't know mm. if you heard the show, Mark, but I said to David, I said, well, look, I, basically I believe it's EPS foam core construction with uh, sandwich technology. And that's sort of the basics of it, and I know there's a lot more to it, that once you sort of... Um, drill down into what a firewire surfboard Mm -hmm. is made of there's a lot more technology than just hey it's sandwich construction eps um a build so why don't we start there and why don't you talk about the different um processes um, that go into the different um the fst right and the lft right um construction techniques of a fire but um first of all welcome i know that was a mouthful introduction (laughs) there but welcome mark good morning
2: morning thanks scott Well, you are correct. I mean, our boards are built from EPS foam and epoxy resins using sandwich construction. Uh, Perhaps the best way to describe them would be if you consider a center stringer polyurethane PU surfboard. We took the wood out of the middle of the board and placed it on the perimeter around the rails of the board, which allowed the board to flex. So sandwich construction has been around for quite a long time. There are many brands that use uh, EPS foam and epoxy resins and sandwich construction. So there's a lot of similarities there between our product and other product out there. But when it comes to the placement of the wood rails around the perimeter of the board, that's the key difference and from a performance perspective, probably the most important one. You know, we feel that like parabolic skis, skateboards, snowboards, controlled flex is a performance enhancer. And by placing the wood around the perimeter of the board, we've created an environment where the board can flex and rebound and optimize that flex pattern to increase the performance.
1: Now, um, I believe that it's the future shapes technology that has the parabolic wood on the rails, right? But I I also Hmm. noticed that the, the new linear flex technology has this unique center stringer as well as the parabolic?
2: No, you're halfway right. So FST Future Shapes Technology is the original recipe, but we felt that you know there's many ways to skin the cat, and surfing is a very individual sport, and we wanted to create additional recipes around sandwich construction, EPS and epoxy, and flex. And we also felt that there's certain surfers just have a more traditional mindset in the way they look at their equipment. So LFT was a way to take the center Stringer concept but build it around a flex component. So the LFT Stringer, for want of a better description, is actually an 18 millimeter wide strip of high density
1: foam. It's a Springer you call it, right? As you, you a marketing it, term. Correct. Yeah. I
2: mean so a Stringer has more of a, a rigid uh, strength aspect to it and actually reduces flex whereas the LFT Springer because it's uh, foam based high-density aerospace composite foam allows the board to flex and it also gives the board at least from the bottom deck because you can't see it from the top deck a more traditional look. And by taking the wood off the rails, you've got white rails and a more white look to the overall board itself, which has a more traditional aesthetic appeal to it. And I
1: can see, look, I will admit it, I'm probably one of those guys that would look at a board without a stringer in the middle and just go, oh, it's going to break. You know, like, and so it seems like the LFT, the linear flex with the springer in the middle, Mm -hmm. sort of, um, I would be that demographic, that guy that would go, oh, cool, look, it's got a center stringer. That's what I'm comfortable with. Even though I'm kind of clueless to the whole thing, it's almost like, Let's just appeal to these guys that are basically idiots, you know, like, and for you know what I mean? Like, like, for lack of a better phrase, like a naive guy like myself that's right. like, I can't ride a board without a center stringer, you know, and it, and it feels like I could see myself going, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of moving towards that LFT technology just because that's what I'm quote unquote used to. That's what I'm comfortable with.
2: Oh, look, aside from not calling our customers idiots, you know, <laughs> that was definitely part of our thought process to create a more traditional interpretation of flex. And at the same time, I actually, my personal preference is LFT because it has a slightly softer flex to it. So it flexes more than an FST board. And I just prefer really loading up, you know, through mm-hmm. turns and bending the board as much as I can, which in fact Tightens up the turning radius and gives you a little more twang coming out of turns. But it's a, it's a highly individual point of view. For example, Michelle and Sally obviously ride FST and prefer it. So, you know, who am I to judge? Right. But I think it is important to have different sensations in these different technologies because at the end of the day, surfing is about a feeling. We're all trying to grab a certain feeling that makes us feel good. And one flex ratio might appeal differently to another surfer. Yeah.
1: And, um, you know, so we've talked about this linear flex, which is that more traditional center stringer and the FST, which is this parabolic stringer on the rails. And then you have TimberTech, right, which is this great, it came out in 2014, I believe last year. Um, And correct me if I'm wrong, but um, it's sort of, um, I guess it appeals to sort of the, maybe the older demo, again, like myself, that that has had a million surfboards and would like to maybe move towards a more mature or a more... um, you know, responsible uh, look at the way I surf. And so tell us about the TimberTech and the SuperSap.
2: Yeah, well, TimberTech was a great product for us. And, and interestingly enough, we didn't develop it, uh, we refined it. You know, we've, we have a reputation in the industry of having an open door. And we also have our own vertical factory that's pretty sophisticated. So we can build almost anything. So there's a lot of guys out there that have really great ideas and innovative products, but nowhere to take them to. They have no path to market because either they don't have the capital or, or they may not even have the inclination to get into the surfboard business. And so Grant Newby, who uh, has I, a day job. Yeah, I know yeah, Grant. Grant yeah. Great. So he he approached us and said, look, I'll just show you how I build these boards. And um, Just a
1: little backstory on Grant. He started the fish fry in Australia. We had it out right. here. It's sort of germinated in San Diego and Sean and Madison and myself kind of did a little bit with it and then Grant, great, let's do this and that, mm. his fish fry at Currumbin uh, sort of evolved into uh, there, some wood guys, a bunch of wood board guys started to right. show up there and so that's the backstory of Grant.
2: And, and I think he's an audio visual engineer or something as his day job but he's obviously great with his hands and builds his own boards. So he turned us on to his particular construction process and we felt it needed some tweaks uh, for various reasons to increase the performance and lighten the weight a little bit. So our product development team worked in conjunction with Grant and we, we refined it for our needs, nothing against the way he was building them. But the beauty of TimberTech, aside from the aesthetics of it, which, which I think are quite fantastic, uh, the Polonia deck skins are certified sustainably grown. So there's that box to check from a s- sustainability standpoint. Bio resin throughout and also because of the strength of the wood it's three millimeters thick on the decks and up to a half an inch thick on the rails we've cut down the cloth usage and resin usage considerably because the inherent strength of the foam core with wrapped in the wood is such that you don't need as much of a, of a lamination or as much resin to create a durable surfboard so it's it's probably from a globally available sold through surf shops. And those are important points because there's some guys on a backyard basis who are doing really innovative stuff. But when you look at it as, in terms of what's available for the average surfer, it is by far the most eco-friendly, sustainably built surfboard. It's not cradle to cradle by any stretch, but it's a huge step up from the traditional surfboard.
1: And that's you got the one pound EPS as its foam core. And then this this Polonia tech on top and bottom and the Entropy Super Sap resin. Is that... Correct.
2: And the other important point, you know, when you talk about eco products, I think you're talking and you're talking about sporting goods, you have to maintain very similar price points and you certainly have to maintain or exceed existing performance standards. Otherwise, you're just creating a brick that's expensive. Yeah. And when you go surfing, no one's going to want to ride it. Right. And I think one of the beauties of TimberTech, it's ultra light, really strong, and has great flex. So it has all those boxes checked, and the price points are comparable to
1: FST or LFT. Why wouldn't we, and I guess it's, it, my, I'm going to answer my own question, but my question is, why wouldn't we just have all TimberTech? Because it's a great product. It rides great. Um, is it? How hard is it to call Michelle Baraz or Sally and go, hey, why don't you think about riding a timber tech? We're not, are we losing that much performance here?
2: Well, it's, that's hard to say because actually Michelle has ridden Chopu on his timber techs. There's been photos of him eight feet above the lip doing airs. So clearly he likes the tech. I think some of it comes down to, and you saw a little bit of this with Stu Kennedy when he was riding the, the ultra short Tomo boards at the US Open and whatnot. And I don't know if there is a bias A subconscious bias, perhaps perhaps in the surfer's minds, if they get too out there on their equipment, possibly it may count against them in the top levels of professional surfing possibly. Yeah. And I think that that might be a miscalculation, but I think that, that thought process exists sure. where they want to ride highly individualized equipment, but not too radically different from
1: what the established right. competitive surfboard looks like. Sure. That makes sense. And, and, and that kind of brings me to my next question, which is look, Michelle was very close. He was leading the ratings at a certain point last year. Sally as well, I believe, was leading at some point. And yeah. she was also very close to being a WSL world Champion. Now, aside from Taylor Jensen, who I believe won a world title on two, two of them, yeah. um, and I don't mean to marginalize what Taylor's done, but specific to high performance shortboards, mm. is 2015 going to be the year when we see a world champion riding a Firewire? Um, you know, from from snapper to pipeline and winning a world title. Is Michelle our guy or Stu? Well, Stu's not on the, the CT, but is our year coming up? And maybe it's Sally, quite frankly. Maybe she has a better shot at it, not to take an, anything away from the Spartan who we all love.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I'm no good at predicting the future, but clearly they're contenders. And I think it's it's a matter of time before one of them or perhaps a new addition to our team does win a world title? How about this? In five equipment. years,
1: do you think we could see this happen? I mean, I think that's fair. I think five years is fair, considering the breakthroughs. Um, especially now, you've got pizel coming on board. Like you know, I mean, it could happen. Not to mention what we're going to talk about next. So, it's is five years is five years? <laughs>
2: well, I w- I would suggest this if you want to go out five years. I would suggest that. Whether it's a Firewire rider or another brand rider, the way uh, surfboard technology is evolving, and, and EPS and epoxy are coming to the fore. You know, JS is experimenting with stringerless epoxies. There were some shots of Parco riding them. Kelly's been riding a lot of epoxy boards built by CI. So I would argue that it's just a matter of time before somebody wins a world title on an EPS epoxy surfboard. And what about oops. a
1: sandwich construction board? But are all those boards custom boards anyway?
2: Well, those boards, you know, certainly in Kelly's case, um, they're non-sandwich, right. and I'm not sure the construction of the um, JS boards. Right. As far as sandwich is concerned, because
1: um, I think that's highly, the real big breakthrough, right? Yeah. I think when somebody wins on a sandwich, whether it be a surf tech or board works, a fire, whatever, at that point we've we've pushed over the tipping point, and we're like, you know what? It's all good. You know, for those last little naysayers, whoever they may be.
2: But I, but I think Scott, to your point, it it's going to take. Um, other brands to have WSL, is it WSL or D- WSL? Yeah, yeah. No, sorry, it's early days. Yeah, it is. <laughs> to have success at that level to tip the market. Even if uh, Michelle won a world title on a sandwich construction, I don't think Firewire alone can tip the market into predominantly accepting sandwich construction surfboards. We need support from other brands to move in that direction. Well,
1: that's interesting because, you know, uh, as you do know, SurfTech recently acquired um, some money thrown at SurfTech. They've revamped their whole um, surfboard line. It looks really slick. It looks really solid. Mm. Um, Do you see this as a good thing for Firewire? that your competition, in my opinion, is sort of rising to the occasion so to speak a-
2: absolutely you know we were actually pulling for channel islands to succeed with the double helix because back this is going back three or four years because we felt that again we need other brands to endorse this type
1: of construction or just that was the construction. a surf tech a surf tech construction or No, no that was the double helix you might need to give me some backstory
2: that was a uh stringerless construction with some type of carbon fiber or alternative cloth reinforcement around the rails mm-hmm. that channel islands was working on once they were acquired by Burton. Right. And they spent a few years on it, and for whatever reason that I'm not familiar with, it didn't, it wasn't a commercial success. Right. But my point was, you know, some people might have thought, well, FireWire is going to be threatened by this when we saw it," but it was the opposite. We were like, "Hey, guys, we're stoked! I hope it's a success."
1: But and but you know, I would argue that, that look, it's not sandwich construction, right? It wasn't a sandwich construction. The double helix was it?
2: It wasn't, but it got rid of the center stringer, right? And so and the, I think that's the key thing. You know, I don't think you have that's to. That's t- Too that you, hung up on. on I,
1: sandwich. I I am hung. I'm, I'm hung up on the sandwich. <laughs> I think that that's really the thing. I think that. Well, I think that's the the thing that that the marketplace goes, mm, but maybe I'm wrong. I you know I've been wrong in the past. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is simply the aesthetic of the stringerless board that that's the big push. But I feel like if we can get a guy to win a world title on a sandwich construction surfboard, wow, we've really moved the needle.
2: Well, I, look, I I think you're right that that will definitely move the needle. But I would still argue that it. I would like to see other brands endorse sandwich construction and if it's only firewire leading the charge then there's only so much success we can have look it's fantastic success and the brand is doing well and and i don't think you're ever going to see a situation where one brand completely dominates the surfboard market it's very fragmented and i think there's a certain health to that with the diversity that's available but coming back to sandwich construction one of the analogies we like to make as to why it's so good is the whole issue of swing weight and when you think about it the internal density of something is, has a huge effect on how it performs moving through space. So, for example, you know a baseball and a tennis ball are fairly similar in size and shape. But obviously, when you throw them, they perform dramatically differently because the internal core densities are so different. And what sandwich construction allows you to do, to your point earlier, is to run. We even run 0.8 pound foam in some of the timber techs. You can create an incredibly lightweight core, but because of the structural integrity of the high density skins, you can get away with it. So you have a surfboard that doesn't track is far more maneuverable because your swing weight has been greatly reduced because your internal core density is so much lighter than a traditional surfboard.
1: In five to 10 years, or maybe sooner, maybe later, are we going to see a thing where the internal core actually has different densities so that maybe there's more weight in the front of the EPS core blank and there's less weight in the middle and maybe, you know, right now it's all even the way the density of the blank is. Is there a situation where we can put more weight in the front if it starts to make sense? I mean, that seems like a place that hasn't been explored yet.
2: No, you're absolutely right. In fact, there is a, a blank uh down in australia that has hexagonal shapes of different densities that you can glue together to create um different flex characteristics through through the blank whether you do it that way or a project we're working on where we're creating adjustable flex through various internal mechanics i think to your point i we are going to move into a direction direction where the the internal performance of the board is not uniform how you achieve it there's a number of ways to do it and certainly different density foams is a way and certainly the the way we're approaching it with a mechanism that will adjust the flex where it may be different in the nose middle and tail uh, is certainly the next step
1: well um why don't we get to the elephant in the room which is kelly slater there's a huge rumor out there that kelly slater is looking into Purchasing a a large chunk of the Firewire business, perhaps owning a controlling interest in it. Um, I know the company line's going to be, we're not saying a word because I've read what you've said, um, I think, on tracks or Stab or wherever. Mm-hmm. And, and that makes tons of sense. So what can you say about the rumor that's going around? Kelly has mentioned some stuff. I'm sure you saw it. Um, basically saying that, you know, I will address this stuff soon. It's nothing definite. It sounds like you guys are still kind of like, you know, going through back and forth with lawyers and so, so forth and so on. Um, but he does say something interesting, which is, you know, if, if Kelly Slater is going to wave the flag of sustainability, which he wants to do, which I think we all applaud, which I think we all should do, mm-hmm. and why not have Kelly do it? What a perfect situation. Then I have to point the finger at myself being Kelly Slater. Kelly has to point at himself and go, well, well what's my role in this? I need to address um, my boards. And it, and it seems like this is one of the things he's doing. He's like, well, which, which manufacturer out there is best handling this? And Firewire seems to be that one, so I'm going to approach them. Um, again, I'm reading a lot into this. I'm right. making a lot of assumptions, but um, I'd, love, I'd, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on some of that.
2: Well, before I answer that specific question, uh, let me just say that when it comes to eco-initiatives, you know, we are the only global manufacturer who only produces eco-boards as certified by SustainableSurf.org. Our entire product line is built using bioresins, the Entropy SuperSAP. In addition to that, we use the BAST packaging, which is 100% post-consumer, molded pulp, reusable, recyclable system. All of our waste is disposed of in, in you know, eco-friendly ways and whatnot. So we do feel that while we've still got a hell of a long way to go, we've taken some important steps in reducing our CO2 emissions and our, in our over, overall carbon footprint. And a lot of people then turn around and say, well, yeah, but if you're shipping boards you know, from Asia around the world, then you're basically undoing all that good. And I just want to point out that in the lifecycle analysis that's been done around products, and Patagonia was one of the lead companies that did this because they were very concerned about building their products in Asia and the freight components to that. The shipping costs, and this is not air, this is sea, which is obviously what we use, are less than 2%. Of the CO two emissions of all the input materials and costs associated with a product, so the shipping thing is a bit of a red herring that people throw out there that that doesn't really. And speaking of red herring stuff,
1: if I can just chime in about that because I and I may again be naive or ignorant about this, but I've always felt that. Waving our flag as environmentally conscious pe- as people, surfers, surf industry people, manufacturers, any of us in this in this world, is more of just that that we're waving our flag. That in fact the little bit of um, footprint that we either you know uh, add to or take away from is is really negligible, relevant to the entire world and what the footprint of say this Apple computer is mm. uh, relative to say a surfboard. You know, I, I don't think, and again, I could be wrong, but I don't even I think it's more that. We as a lifestyle, you know, we have as surfers have the ability to do it, and we're doing it. We're raising the flag and going, mm-hmm. "Hey, you know what? Yeah, in the big picture, the, the the pie chart, we're barely a sliver. What we're saving or what we're adding to the carbon footprint is nothing. But what we are doing is going. It's it's important for us to do this.
2: Look, I, I agree, and, and and I think to to make a, a an analogy on a topic that's that's fairly current today with the release of selma you know i don't think that the the first few african americans that sat at a lunch counter realized the ramifications of what would happen over time through that first act and i'm not saying that surfers are going to change the world the way you know the civil rights movement changed the u.s but it's certainly calling attention to the issue and only good things can come from that and i think you've got to put it in that fairly little Narrower context within our own world, and go. We need to do the right thing, and hopefully the rest will take care of itself. But to your point, you know, we're, we're not cleaning up the environment by making our surfboards less toxic.
1: Yeah. Uh, so to so Kelly. back to your question. So to Kelly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, what I can say is uh, Kelly has made an offer uh, to purchase a majority stake in Firewire. We're going through all the the legal lees and and protocols that are necessary to come to a conclusion. It's at the offer stage, and um, I'd really... I hate ducking a question. No, I respect I it. I, I, understand. I literally it's can't business. comment more than that. I but totally get it. But it's certainly he has made an offer to secure a majority stake, and we're, we're actively pursuing that. Uh,
1: now, some hypotheticals: assuming that it does go through, because I think it will go through. I think it's a win-win-win for everybody. Um, does that mean that we're going to that that we're going to see Channel Islands boards? Um, you've you've got an interesting model, right? You you're, you almost license your your manufacturing process to these different brands like Paizel, like Tomo, like um, Mayhem, like Matt Biolis and the Lost Guys. Uh, um, Would it be a situation where we would see Channel Islands, the Channel Islands line, start to be manufactured using your techniques?
2: Look, I I cannot get into into specifics. But let let me just say... Would you like
1: that? (laughs) 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 The door is locked, Mark. You can't leave. Let
2: me just... Correct um, the record a little bit. Sure, you know? please. Um, we we pay a royalty to Pazel for his designs and obviously to Lost and to Tomo. And we build those designs in our own factory. So technically, you're correct that there is a licensing relationship there. But at the same time, we also have this mothership. That's the Firewire brand that we've built and developed in its own right and has its legi- leg- legitimate place in the market. So I think it's important to distinguish what we're doing from, say, the surftech model. And let's just go back to the original Surftech model because right now it may be a little bit in limbo as, as to exactly how they're going to move forward with, with the, the new product. But historically, Surftech was basically a licensing company that was just built boards for other brands under license, and that was really how they built their business. We have a much more hands-on approach. We want to build brands. So for example, in the Tomo case, aside from a certain amount of custom boards that he's free to build at any time for anyone of his choosing, all stock Tomo boards at retail are built by us. We've just overhauled his website. We do the demos. We place the ads in conjunction with Dan. I mean, he's very involved in the brand. So I don't want to act as if he's just over there and we do everything but it's much more of a brand development relationship versus hey here's a check let us just run with these couple
1: designs with that uh, understanding that then it would you could argue that well channel Islands already has a built brand they're pretty damn strong um they might not need that from firewire as i again yeah look think forward here
2: my my personal feeling is that i would rather see us do more with less so I would rather see us continue to strengthen the Firewire business, strengthen our relationship with Pazel, obviously expand the Tomo business. And then wherever Kelly wants to go support that. Uh, but my own personal feeling is we don't really want to become a, a board builder for other brands you know, right. as our primary right. business. It's a lower margin business. It strengthens their business in our opinion because it's giving them our technology, which is proprietary to us. Right. So it's not my first choice. Right. But – uh, there's strong arguments that could, that could be made that it it's a good business opportunity and, and we'll see how things play out. You know, at, at this point in time, uh, the whole focus is on moving the deal forward and right. crossing all those I's and dotting those T's. And we actually haven't spent much time on what comes afterwards. Right. There'll be plenty of time to address that uh, right. in the coming months.
1: Have you spoken with Kelly? Yes. And, and, um, were those preliminary discussions exciting? And, and can you give us any insight into that? Because I'm sure some of the stuff that you and I were just now talking about came into the equation when it, the, the preliminary phone calls went down.
2: Look, it would be, be disingenuous to suggest that we've had no conversations about anything. You right. know? Of course we have. But we've kept it really loose. And yeah. at the same time, we're very respectful of what Kelly is facing in the short, short term. Right. And that is showing up at Snap and winning the event. Right. Whatever boards he wants to ride in order sure. to do that, he should. And in fact, we're not even working on boards for him right now. All parties agreed that, listen, let's just see where this deal goes and then we'll cross those
1: bridges when we get to them.
2: So it's been fairly superficial, but and obviously good. we've had some conversations. Right. You know?
1: And and I appreciate you giving me as much insight as you can. I understand. I understand these things, you know, the business side of what you have to... Sure. You know, basically, you have to be quiet. Um, David and I were talking... At the last episode about these are some things that we do know. We do know that, that um, it's on video. We have proof that Kelly's semi-enamored with what Daniel's doing, Tom, uh, Tomo. Mm-hmm. Um, he's seen what Stu Kennedy was doing. Um, he's on video saying that he thinks that what Daniel's creating is the future. Um, so I don't think it would be a stretch to suggest that it, he would at least, and if he, I'm sure he already has, um give those boards a run or that concept of run you know and of course I'm, i know kelly well enough to know that he would respect you know he would work with daniel on some level and mm-hmm. and he and uh, david and i were talking about wouldn't it be neat if, if kelly gets to work with Pizel and ride some of the stuff that john john's riding and he gets to work with daniel and get you know gets to ride some of that and because we all know that kelly really moves the needle and as he should because he's so involved in it i mean he he knows the stuff. He knows the designs. He, in fact, I was reading a thing with Maurice Cole the other day about how well Kelly can, can continue the conversation about board design and fin design and placement and volume and all of these factors. Um, wouldn't it be neat? You know, I mean, I, I, I think we're all excited as fans of Kelly Slater to see him try all these different things and see how they go. And uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on the exciting factor of Kelly riding a bunch of different boards if and when this does come out.
2: Oh, definitely. And I, I think, and I can't speak for Kelly, but I think somewhere in his mind, part of the calculation is he'll be able to work with whoever he wants, whether it's Pazel, Tomo, continuous relationship with Weber that he started right now. You know, he's gotten some boards from him. Really? That, that's out in the public domain. I'm not sharing any Greg Weber? There.
1: Yeah. From Australia? Yeah. Surf pool Weber. Yeah. And Kelly Slater wave pool Weber. That's very interesting to me. Now you've got me. Yeah. We're going to have to call Chaz Smith. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have you gotta brush up on your blogs, man. Well, I, I guess so. There's so many out there, but I just I just sensed that there was some animosity based on the wave pool stuff with Kelly and Greg. But apparently, it's just again, maybe I do need to brush up on my blogs. Yeah,
2: but to your point, you know, I think that uh, if this deal goes through, um, Kelly would have the freedom to work with whoever he wanted, and in fact, we can also we could potentially develop new technologies around his particular interests.
1: You know, you've we've mentioned uh, Pizel and, and Matt Biolis and Daniel Thompson and the potential now that Kelly comes in and who knows what happens when he if in fact he does come in um, with with Mike from Channel Islands or whoever. My point is is that these guys are all very proud people as they should be. I mean, they've chosen this. This um, profession of building surfboards—it's—it's it's basically a passion play. It's a lifestyle play. There's not a lot of money in it, and because of that, there—it's very personal to them. And I know mm. it's personal to all of these guys. Is it hard for you? Do you—is it hard to manage these personalities? Do you even have to manage these personalities? Are there little dramas that take place that are maybe bigger than they should be on occasion? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> Well,
2: uh, no. Look, fortunately for me, you know, I've spent my whole career on the creative side of the business. So whether it was working with designers or graphic artists or merchandisers, um, you know, people like Sean Stucy, Peter Shroff, um, Mike Salisbury. I mean, I've I've learned a lot from some really creative people over the years, and I've also, I think, I've developed a management style that is effective in getting the best out of you know, creative people, whereas also giving them the freedom to to grow themselves and and express themselves. It's always a balanced, you know, commercializing product between the pure design inputs and what the market will really bear. So I think I've I've walked that line my whole career. So it's it's stood me in good stead in in working with these individuals. And I think what helps me is that at the end of the day, I just have such incredible respect for whether it's the literal craftsmanship of these guys being able to pick up a plane and create this thing, or just the sheer design knowledge that they have, and certainly in, in say, Dan Thompson's case, his surfing ability on top of that. Uh, you know, so it has its challenges, but I think they, they're no different from any business that has a bunch of people under one roof or in conjunction with a company trying to create something in a collective way. There's gonna be personality issues, professional issues that emerge, uh, but they're totally uh, manageable. That said, you know, there are certain people out there who could probably uh, benefit our business that we consciously won't work with. So yeah. there are some lines that we draw, no right, matter right. how creative you are. Right. Because yeah. um,
1: it's just there's poisonous. a chemistry to
2: a business that has to be maintained. And, and, and if you don't put some
1: parameters in place, the whole thing can blow up. Yeah. Yeah. There are. Um Three events on the 2015 tour, which are unsponsored, do not have a title sponsor. They're um, the Fiji Pro, I think the Rio Pro, the Fiji Pro, and the J-Bay Open. Could we see in the future um, the Firewire Fiji Open or the Firewire Fiji Pro, the uh, the Firewire J-Bay Open? This seems like, and I don't know what the cost is. I'm sure it's a lot, Mm -hmm. but this seems like... um, I guess as a guy who who produces who loves surfboards like you do, I I would love to see a WSL event that's sponsored by a surfboard company. Uh, I don't know if it's in the budget or not, but is that something that you guys even chew on and talk about? Is that in the realm of possibility?
2: No, you know, surfboard companies are pretty small in the scheme of things, Um, and there's no ROI basically. There, I think it's just beyond our financial capacity to to fund something like that period never mind whether there's an roi or not right i mean the the prize money alone the various sponsorships involved are are infinitely greater than our entire marketing budget for all facets of it um and i would also argue that and this is where i might just be old school about it i think that there's a certain Level of visibility and firepower in the market that you really don't want to go beyond as a surfboard brand There's a certain soul you don't to want to the jump product the shark so to speak. Yeah, you you don't want to come across as too big Right and the facts are you can't get too big anyway Because right. the market's kind of small But if someone just wanted to write a check because they want the ego gratification of having a name attached to it I guess that's possible, Right. but we don't make decisions on that basis, right?
1: I will say this, I, I saw it. it, Mark, a couple, three years ago, come out of the water. I saw him getting some great little barrels at George's there in Cardiff, and he had just gotten a new uh, Tomo, one of the new vanguards, and, and I could see the spark in his eye. He was stoked on the thing, the smallest was- board he's ever ridden, and, and it was just, you know, I could tell he was fired up.
0: That's always one of the closing questions when we're interviewing somebody is just what was the last board that you rode?
2: The last board, well, the board I'm currently riding is the Cornus, which is a side-cut snowboard-esque design that we developed in conjunction with some engineers out of Spain who design wind turbine blades. And they have massive amounts of computing power where they obviously test how these giant blades perform in various environments. And being surfers, they started modeling various surfboard shapes and putting them through these computer programs. And... Um, we took that original concept, much like the Grant Newbie relationship, and we tweaked it quite a bit, and we now have this collaborative project, product that Dan Mann from Mankind actually designed in conjunction with the guys from Spain. And it's a, an amazing design. It's only 17 inches wide at the wide point. It's a 5'5", five five. Hmm. and I'm when having you, a lot of fun on that.
0: When you say side cut, is that… In reference to the outline correct so it's like asymmetrical
2: no it's totally symmetrical but oh, it, okay. it basically instead God. of having a, a, a curve from nose to tail it actually curves inwards understood and
0: Dan used to work with firewire does he still is does he still involved yeah.
2: yeah yeah and then I go back and forth between that and, and the Vader you know the, which is the, one of the newer Tomo designs mm. They all work on a similar principle, and that's basically making the board as small as humanly possible and still getting
1: you know sure. first-rate performance out of it. Sure. I am um, one of the best of show, well, this year's best of show category, the only category, is a sustainable, uh, environmentally conscious uh, surfboard. And the judging is going to be based on how far can we, Push the parameters, push the limit of environmentally conscious um, building materials, source materials, and still maintain performance in the water. And obviously, you guys are at the forefront there, and, and I expect that you guys will put a board in the in the competition. Uh, but again, it's only for this idea that let's push the limits here I and mean, let's raise the flag. You know, um, I know we're not saving the world, but let's let's do what's in our heart. Let's do the right thing. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that.
2: I think it'd be cool. I mean, there's definitely more room to move. Yeah. It's challenging because it's got to be lightweight. It's got to float. It's got to be strong. <laughs> it's yeah. got to rip. But, you know, it can be done. Like
1: linseed oils, stuff like that is. It, where's the next breakthrough in environmentally conscious source materials? Do we? Do you have any thoughts on that or I mean how much lighter can we get I guess how much stronger can we get you know or I guess the real question is how much more environmentally uh, conscious can we get
2: we can definitely get lighter and stronger and we're working on some vacuum laminations right now uh, which obviously reduces the amount of resin that's used and also increases the mechanical bond there's also materials that have been proven in other industries and manufacturing processes that will create lighter and stronger surfboards so one of the benefits we have is that we don't have to reinvent the wheel because it's been done in other industries. We might have to tweak it to make it right for us. Uh, so there's th- there's that side of it. But coming back to the linseed comment that you made, it, you know, we actually had to add cloth to the TimberTech boards. They don't require it. In fact, Grant Newby doesn't glass his boards at all. He just coats them with linseed oil, which not only seals the wood, but it has a tacky to it, you don't even need wax at all. But when you're shipping boards all over the world and guys are scraping wax off with scrapers and pulling traction pads off, you know, we felt that we had to just put a layer of cloth that's just two and a half ounce around the exterior of the board just to give it some additional integrity for the abuse that the average surfer puts it through. Now, if each surfer were to baby their board and recoat it with linseed oil every couple months, <laughs> your Timberdick board would last forever and you wouldn't have to worry. But, you know, we have to look out for the worst case scenario. right? And so we we actually added some some cloth to the board that isn't really required. Yeah. So when you start getting into the real purest approach to it, there's a lot that can be done. But then the, on the flip side mm-hmm. is the, the maintenance and care for your board has to go up. Right. And I think a lot of surfers probably aren't willing to take those extra steps on a regular basis to look after the product.
1: And what about, uh, you know, we've had mushroom blanks at the boardroom before, a very experimental um, yeah. guys that are coming in and just basically, you know, not necessarily first to market just first with a crazy idea more than anything um have you guys are you looking at the cores are you happy with eps does that seem to be obviously it's a no-brainer but is in five or ten years are we going to see something besides that that eps foam are we going to see an algae based foam or a uh, mushroom based foam
2: Without question, because when you look at um, the use of foam, say EPS, for example, it's used in refri- refrigeration panels all over the world. It's used in electronics packaging. So the incentive to create more eco-friendly alternatives is huge. I mean, the the, the, the business potential is in the billions. So I think the surfboard. Industry is going to be the beneficiary yes. of the needs of these far greater industries. As almost a test market, exactly. More than anything. And so, you know, the the, the the problem with the mushroom foam right now is they can't get the densities low enough. It's pretty heavy. But, yeah, but yeah. they'll they could overcome that. Yeah. Um, the biome foam that uh, Rob Feldman is working yeah. with out of Holland is showing tremendous promise. Wow, there's some guys in Israel right now working on some really interesting stuff. So I think it's just a matter of time before there's a wholesale change in the type of materials that surfboards are built from.
1: Yeah, I know there's a guy at UCSD that's working on some um, algae, basically waste from stuff they're already doing that they can blow into foam. So there's a lot out there. It's good stuff. Well, we're excited about Kelly Slater (laughs) being a part of Firewire. I know it's not a done deal, and for the record, Mark's not saying it is, but um, the conventional wisdom the the masses out there uh seem the, the rumor mill is strong and um i'm it's going to be fun to see what happens you know i think it's a great thing as a guy who's in the surfboard manufacturing business on some peripheral um uh, in some way um it's exciting you know there's a lot of good stuff that's gonna it's gonna flow from it and so i'm jazzed totally. me too thank you mark <laughs> mark price from firewire thanks so much pleasure thanks guys
0: Go to ads dot com now. That's L I B S Y N Ads. dot com.
1: So, on the heels of um, talking with Mark there, and I mentioned it too. Um, so, Kelly J- Kelly Slater's joined forces with this brand, PB Teen Peanut Butter Teen, PB Teen, right? Yeah. To make this line of environmentally friendly um, furniture. Yeah. Um, that's my first story and I, it sort of seems underwhelming after that great conversation with Mark Price so
0: well it's so random
1: it, that's it's what like, it was it's like
0: what it has nothing to do with surfing which I get like branch out but it is um, furniture is as out of left field as you could get I suppose
1: yeah it it's you know you, you're you know my wheels start turning i'm like okay so as managers like kelly they called us this would be pretty much a no-brainer no one would even notice right um you'll, you're gonna make like a killing you know your margins gonna be sick on this and they've you know it's a no-brainer all you gotta do is sign off on it and kelly's like all right i'll do it you know just move on but that's
0: <laughs> we don't know kelly to take a money grab
1: no you're you right know, that's you're right.
0: the weird thing about it is it feels like a money grab
1: yeah and no, i don't think it is i i i I sense that Kelly's really trying to align every single product he makes with his core values. And so I'm not
0: saying it doesn't align with his core values. Yeah,
1: but I don't think it's a money grab. I think it's I think it it just came to like it just showed up at their doorstep and they're right. like, "Dude, it lines up." You know, um, you know, if again, I, who knows? I, a lot we're just assuming a lot here, but I don't know Do if you, it was a money grab. I just think it lined up with his core values and I think anything that lines up with his core values, he'll be like, "Yeah." I'm, you know what? Michael Jordan, underwear, Kelly Slater, you know, furniture.
0: I have no uh, shame about that at all. Like, I would take the cash payout too. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Do you remember though, like back in the day, you know, even 10, 20 years ago, you'd see these A-list actors in movies. You would never see them do a hair care commercial. You know what I mean? And nowadays, it's like it's open game for everybody. Shaquille O'Neal has a soda you know what I mean and um, J.K. Simmons this actor who's in like this movie Whiplash that's nominated for best actor of the year is also doing State Farm commercials at the same exact time simultaneously yeah you know what I mean So, um, it's a different market nowadays. Well, I'm going
1: to read his quote from from the press release about the furniture. This is from Kelly. Global conservation is a focal point of the capsule collection, and it falls right in line with the change in direction I'm working towards on a professional and personal basis said Slater, 11-time world champion. In collaborating with PB Teen, we are creating a subtle and natural feel with this collection, something that has an authentic appeal for teens and their parents alike. Which part of that quote did he not write? Because there's no way he wrote that second part. Yeah. That just has PR speak all over it. Did you, could you imagine these words coming out? In collaborating with PBT, we are creating a subtle and natural feel with this collection, something that has an authentic appeal for teens and their parents alike. That was not said by Kelly Slater. Right. I think the first part probably was global conservation is a focal point. Anyway, funny. Inter- stuff.
0: Interesting. Did you see his uh, Super Bowl commercial?
1: Yeah, that was cool. So it I was, was actually on that. It
0: was an NFL commercial and rally the, Super Bowl rally right? Super hashtag Super Bowl rally. Yeah. And basically the NFL, um, it was for the NFL brand, but they just the concept was to like show people giving a rally cry around the world. Different, you know, it'd be like sports teams for sure. But then it would show like a mom cheering her kid on in his soccer game, and uh, it showed Kelly taking a selfie in a barrel, look like backdoor or p pass or some giant right hand barrel, um, holding a GoPro pointed at himself, screaming as he's going through the barrel. So they just took like a tenth of a second almost and incorporated it into a one minute long commercial.
1: And and then he put an Insta out there he about did. it, yeah, which was kind of cool. He's like, check out my moment, and then he he. He pointed his camera towards the commercial as it was happening, right? Yeah. And then he like brought the camera to himself and went, ah! And like yeah. kind of screamed. For you? the Instagram. Yeah, for the Instagram.
0: Have you seen his Apple commercial that he did in no. 2002? No. It's solid, dude. He did an Apple commercial he did in
1: 2002. 2002. 13 years ago.
0: Kelly Slater did a 30-second spot for Apple. They were advertising some new software for, you know, one of their computers, basically. And they partnered with a bunch of different athletes to talk about how they would use the software. It was video editing software. So Kelly's standing there. It's like a classic Apple ad where there's a white backdrop. He's standing in front of it with his surfboard, all stickered up with logos. And he's like, yeah, you know, I started using this new software. I got footage of myself surfing snapper rocks and they show the footage and I edited it together. must be iMovie it was an iMovie it was something else that Hmm. I forget Hmm. um, Final Cut actually it was Apple software no yeah um, it's something Hmm. I'll look it up right now while I'm talking don't worry about it but um, Switch Switch.
1: nothing spectacular just cruising sort of really basic surf stuff just some small perfect little waves my everyday thing really Put music to it. Put captions in. I've never done that stuff before. And it took me about an hour to edit. Pretty easy. Uh, iMovie program is so simple
0: to use. Apple.com forward slash forward slash Switch. So I guess the iMovie, iMovie program, yeah. but some product they have called Switch is what they're advertising. But mm-hmm. yeah, he just talks about editing this thing together. It's I think Switch maybe
1: like Switch from Final Cut to Apple to iMovie. Maybe that's, maybe that's, that's what it, is. it was.
0: Smart dude. Look at you.
1: I know. You background in
0: marketing or something.
1: Occasionally a little gem falls out. <laughs> but
0: but t- 2002 was like prior to the internet being crazy. Like if he came out with this today, we would all have seen it on the internet. But back then- but You know what I was thinking, um,
1: speaking of time and a long time ago in 2002 is this morning when I was preparing for Mark, um, I realized that it's 2015, it's 10 years since the closure of Clark Foam. This marks this December will mark the 10-year anniversary. December 5th? Yeah. Of um, what, Black Monday? Yep. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting, something that maybe we can build up to in future episodes. I would maybe love... Maybe we can get some insight from people. I'm sure somebody now is going to listen to this and write a an whole article on it.
0: Well, I mean, I would love to get... The full story, you know, like from Grubby himself. It
1: might be a good documentary film. It would
0: be a super good documentary because I've talked to various people about it. Everybody has a different story. Yeah. And people are like, oh, no, he was a really shrewd businessman, but a good human being. And then I talked to a lot of other people who were like, heck no, that guy was a nightmare, you know?
1: But you know what my story is, is that I was at the surfer house on the North Shore when that all came down. Like we were all in there where we there was a bunch of us upstairs and Chris Morrow came in or somebody came in with like or whoever it was I forget Yeah, might have been Evan but it was like you guys aren't going to believe this and like everyone kind of gathered around and we read the facts and it was like do you know what this means the surfing you know it was like a big it was a big deal in in our little world of the surf industry it was big
0: outside of the surf industry it sent ripple effects through the uh, financial world you know I mean the Wall Street Journal wrote about it it was a big deal everybody
1: was just sort of Uh, you know, hypothetical, what's going to happen? How's it going to play out? You know, what's it mean? Should we go buy a bunch of surfboards? Who's got blanks? You know? Yeah. There was guys, you know, there was guys making a, that were just making a run on boards. I know that, I think at the surf ride in Oceanside, Sean Madison immediately, like, he was the manager there. I think he immediately marked up every board, like 500 bucks or something. (laughs) There was a run on surfboards. Yeah,
0: exactly. it should
1: be stated... I wonder um, how many Clark Blanks are still floating around out there. I see them sometimes. I've seen them, yeah. I know yeah. they're out there. Um, it should be stated,
0: too, that kind of the key employees from Clark regrouped after about six months to a year, launched U.S. Blanks. Yeah, exactly. Which has kind of filled the gap for Clark. There was a few other companies that tried to fill the gap in the interim, but U.S. Blanks is certainly...
1: Um, oh, there's no doubt that that they, they are the new Clark phone.
0: Better than... You know, like from everybody I talked to in terms of just consistency and quality, because that's the other thing is when Clark had kind of a monopoly, there's no competition to hold you accountable and to require you to improve your craft. Now there's enough competition pushing the envelope that you have to always regroup, tighten your belt, do things more efficiently, better customer service, you know.
1: Yeah, I think the the. The thing that gave them the real big head start, right, was that they had all the rocker templates already, you know? And so it was...
0: Well, and 30-plus years of know-how.
1: Yeah, and and it was the same people, right? It was Kim, and um, I think it was a lot of the same people. So there was a lot of um, relationships that had already been built.
0: Over 30 of the staff came and started the new brand. So without Grubby, of course, no Grubby involvement. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, 10-year anniversary. yeah. Cool. Did you watch the Vulcan Pipe Pro? I did. I did watch the Vulcan Pipe Pro. Dude, John John wins again. I mean, is there any there's a lot of middle story, but the reality is, hey, guess what? There's another event at Pipeline. Kelly and John John are both in the final. John John smokes everybody.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing for fans. You know, I love it when John John went. John John and John John's slowly getting to that place in my own fandom that equals Kelly. Like I you know I'm, those two guys are my favorite surfers, is I guess what I'm saying. And yeah. the reason it's a good thing is I think it pushes Kelly to be excited for this year. That's to what be- I
0: just made the analogy with the phone business. It's the same thing, you know? Yeah. You need an adversary.
1: Yeah. And before, you know, as we all know, it was Andy for a bit. And, yeah. and it's Ga- now it's Gabriel and John. John, I just think it's, it's great for Kelly's Eye of the Tiger. So obviously,
0: when it comes down to the showdown heat between the top two surfers in the final, It could go either way. You look at that final in Tahiti with Kelly and Gabriel, you know, and it's It's a matter of
1: rhythm almost, you know?
0: It 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 really is. And it's like one heat could be one guy's, the next heat could be another. They're that good, and it's just splitting hairs. But leading up to the final throughout the event, I'm constantly assessing who are the top guys in this event. Kelly without a doubt is. The top guy on his end of the draw, and John John on his end of the draw is the top guy. There's nobody else that even comes close to those two guys. It's like black and white. I mean, the the third guy in line, Mason Ho, who got second in the final, actually, or some of the other highlights were like Zeke, Zeke Lau served great. They're still 10 notches below Kelly and John John. Kelly and John John are on a different planet.
1: It was a bit disappointing to not see jamie o'brien in in the final um but jamie o'brien is
0: amazing waves that we've seen him ride at pipeline and as comfortable as he seems i would argue is not on the level of john john and kelly he certainly isn't competitively.
1: yeah not competitively i would say in the free surf circuit um he's right there he's got to be i mean who if it let's say it goes like this let's say it goes John John Slater, who's number three out at Pipe. I, Jamie it's Jamie O'Brien, he is, but, but he could arguably be number two. No,
0: I would argue he's definitely number three.
1: I mean, in the free surf world, I agree. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, he looks so comfortable at Pipe. I've never really seen him do it backdoor. What we've seen John John and Kelly do. Oh, uh, I've I've seen him
1: do stuff at backdoor. He's he's incredible.
0: I'm not trying to diminish John, or Jamie. I don't know. It just. I don't know. Uh, I got a question for you, though, regarding backdoor. Is backdoor the new pipeline? I feel like all these great showdowns we see. It, with- always
1: ha- it has been for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, backdoor pipe's always been really what decides pipe. It, it really It's does. very rare that it's the left that decides it. Yeah. Because yeah. for whatever reason, I think because, uh, well, let's figure this out. Yeah. But we know that regular foots can can go backside on the left and get sick shacks. And then they can get the killer backdoor tubes on their front side. Yeah. I think the backdoor barrel on your backhand for the goofy footers is much harder. Very much. So I think that speaks a lot to why we see a lot of regular foots winning and a lot of times backdoor being where it's at. Well, the Plus, it's a longer tube. Yeah, the like difference. It's a longer, more critical tube. You're going to get a 10 more often than not. On the right than you are on the left because it's
0: running down the yeah, reef and it closes longer, out again.
1: Section so the the pipeline
0: wave the left it's a big wide open cavernous barrel that gets perfect so you can just stand there and get blown out. You're you trying hard
1: to get deeper on the left yeah. whereas the right you're running for your life.
0: But that wave that Kelly got last year in the Vulcan Pipe Pro and I think a couple that he got actually at the Billabong Pro at Pipeline. Well, reignited our excitement for pipeline because there was like death defying drops, stomps it, gets blown out. But he he made it difficult to ride. You know what I mean? Like you don't see that happen very often at pipeline anymore. More often than not, you see a guy take off deep and get blown out. And that can account for a perfect 10. But at backdoor, there's a lot more rider input. There's a lot more negotiations that are made and weaving through the barrel. We saw it multiple times in this event. We saw Kelly get a 10 doing that. Um, and then the other element that's interesting with backdoor is we saw in John John's first big score in the final, him do a massive air when he came out of the barrel, which we're going to see more of in the future, guys coming out and doing massive airs, which is something you don't see at Pipeline. You
2: rarely yeah.
1: see at Pipeline. And you know, an- another thing too is that back in the day, Like say late eighties, early nineties, the guys, the conscious organizers would wait for a big west swell. They'd be like, "Big west swell, we've got to," because it was all about the left, you know. We need a west swell, and as soon as it started to go a little bit north, they'd they'd put it on hold and they'd wait for the next west swell to come through if they could. But as we know, the nature of these swells is they move across the Pacific from the Kuril Islands underneath Japan all the way over, um, you know, until finally they reach. You know the the west coast of of North America, and as they do that, they, the swells become more northerly in direction, of course, and so the right hander shows up more. And so we wait for the big west swell. We get a couple of rounds in the big west swell, and then all of a sudden, backdoor and the left start to work, and then it's more of backdoor, and then it's and then let's say we we wait for the next round you know, the last couple of rounds. And again, it happens. We wait for the West swell. And then as we get towards the quarters, the semis and the finals, the swell has swept to a place where again, it's more about the North, more about the back door.
0: Yeah. We're not going to get that many West swells in this 10 day waiting period.
1: Right. And especially on the final day, you know, there was a couple of days. There was one great day the day. I think it was 2000, the year that um, Machado beat Mick Lowe in the final. It was epic all lefts just crystal clear not a drop of water out of place just perfect left real pipeline mm-hmm. and Machado won it and um, that was 2000 and God what an exciting time it was to see it it's fu- I kind of hope for the left a lot of times because it, it almost is like oh, we don't see the left as much as we used to and I'm trying to think what was the other can you name a goofy foot that won pipeline um, since Machado in 2000 at Real Pipe. Jeez. Think back, you know, like it's Fanning, Parco, Slater, John John, Jamie O'Brien. Uh, Andy. Andy. Um, then like Bede and Jeremy Flores.
0: Yeah, crazy.
1: There's not good too point. many Goofies that have ever, you yeah. know. When was the last Goofy? I don't know, but. Um, I guess Gabe Medina, right? He, he just won win. it. Oh, he didn't win. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, wait, did he? <laughs> no, that's, Julian Wilson. That's right, one. Julian. <laughs> Dang, so we have t- terrible short-term memory. Yeah, we do. Dude. We're all it's okay. you are calling old. guys out from 2000, but can't remember two weeks ago. That's how it works. What's his name? Oh, Gabe Medina. So anyway, that's interesting, right? Like, it is very. interesting. I wonder if Machado was the last Goofy Foot to win in 2015 years ago. There's got. We need to do some research.
0: I, I think um, I heard it on the webcast. Somebody telling the story about Machado right around that time, which was kelly telling him like dude you should go right out here go go back door and machado was too scared he's like no way man the lefts are so perfect why would i even think to go right and well, then they had a heat together machado went on his first backdoor wave ever got a 10 <laughs> and, it, and it was like thanks kelly
1: <laughs> yeah that's interesting well uh, that day was just all time and and the The heats that Mick Low, who you you may not remember, I remember Mick, Mick Lowe, big, Goofy Foot, yeah, Big Aussie, Keggy, Keggy, yeah. kind of uh, the sh- the the showdown that those two had was just all time, and it yeah. was just perfect, flawless pipe.
0: Well, uh, pipeline did rear its ugly head for a couple days of the waiting period, and we had some pretty serious injuries actually. Um, Leo Fioravanti, who's this? Uh, Italian surfer. He's actually from Rome, regular footer. He's part of the Quicksilver Grom team. I've spent a little bit of time with him. Um, he actually broke his back at Pipeline during the event. Took off on a super steep wave, free fall dropped, fins didn't catch, kind of spun out at the bottom, and the thing just clamped on him. He, he hit the reef directly on his back, like pinned against the reef on his back and then the wave kind of broke on him so forced him deeper into it broke two vertebrae had to get pulled from the water they weren't sure how bad it was took him to the hospital and now he's in a back brace but he's like 17 year old grom broken back at pipe pretty gnarly
1: yeah that's during heat that's a bummer man and then did you see
0: last night the injury i don't think i did pretty gnarly situation just i was following it on instagram late last night um tahitian surfer he's on volcom I'll pull up his name while we're talking, but um, he wiped out. I didn't hear anybody talk about the wipeout, but they found him unconscious. Apparently the board hit him in the head and they water, uh, the the lifeguards pulled him out of the water unconscious to the beach, tried to revive him on the beach for a long time and weren't able to. So they got him in an ambulance, got, got him to the hospital where he's in critical condition. Wow. So as of this morning... It's all people just shouting out, hey, send prayers his way Um, because he's still alive, but he's in critical condition and unconscious. Um, I'm going to pull up his name. That's too
1: bad. I'm sorry to hear that, man. That's that's a total downer.
0: Tahiti Haimani is his name. Um, Mm. So, we'll, I mean, people, listeners will get more information about him before we're able to update them. But yeah. Pretty gnarly guy. I guess he's he surfs Chopu. You know, the guy's from Tahiti, so he's fully capable of doing his thing. But critical condition at the moment.
1: Well, that's a bummer. Um, let's see. Other stuff about the Vulcan Pipe Pro. Really, like you said, nothing too surprising. Um, Zeke Lau was is was great off. to watch. There was tons of action. The swell was like mid-period. There was tons of waves coming in, it seemed like. There was yeah. always action going on. Yeah. It was a pretty good uh, broadcast. I enjoy... Um, Richard Wolcott, you know, I think he does do a good too. job. I love Dave Wassel. Ronnie Blake, he's always great. You know, Chris actually did, um, again, I think I think Kote does a pretty good job. He's toned down his, you know, Chris is pretty good. Yeah,
0: I like him. So, um, one thing that I don't know whether we talk about sponsor talk really, if it matters, but kind of interesting to me, Zeke Lau, up and coming um, Hawaiian powerhouse surfer. I like his surfing a lot and the Red Bull has done this 21 day series and they were profiling him leading up to this event and seems like a great kid, great athlete, really competitive. He's off of Volcom. He's been a Volcom team writer since he was a kid. Hmm. And I guess Sonny Garcia posted an Instagram talking about like, Oh, Zeke's off Volcom. Hawaiian surfers don't get enough support from the corporations. Um, and then deleted the Instagram later. I guess the Instagram only existed for a few hours and then he deleted it. The rumor was that Zeke opted out of renewing his contract. Like Volcom was willing to support him, and for some reason Zeke backed out. So curious about that situation. Looking for a a bigger deal,
1: maybe. I guess. Yeah, but it's funny, you know. Like we always, I always ask you, you know, how how many pairs of shorts is Zeke Lau going to sell? You know, like there's only so many guys that are going to move product for these companies. You know, yeah. And, And I think you're in an uphill battle if you're a Hawaiian, because. The Hawaiian image is sort of one of thuggery. Uh, I don't know if that's that's correct or not. I don't know if maybe that's too much of my opinion, but I mean, when I think of a Hawaiian surfer, I think, uh oh, I <laughs> better put my head down and walk away. You know, like interesting. And and I'm not saying Zeke's that way at all. I'm just saying that 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 my, if if I was a marketing guy and I'm like, should we throw dollars at this guy? You know, I want somebody that's going to sell product, not going to scare scare people. Sure. You know, and again, I'm not saying Zeke scares people. I'm saying that the idea of Hawaiians in general is kind of like. Little spooky yeah. from a marketing standpoint. That's Do you not, feel that way, or maybe I'm maybe well, I'm throwing too much of my own trip into this? I mean,
0: those assessments that you just made are fairly accurate, except those aren't in Volcom. Wouldn't be afraid of that. No, I, mean, I agree. Volcom's no, way, I don't mean Volcom.
1: I mean, it just Volcom's in general, on board with I just mean in general, like if, if this was in general, yeah, Acme surf company and I was looking for somebody to, to drive my product. I'd, I'd look to somebody more vanilla, like Brett Simpson than I would. Yeah. But somebody that could be considered, um, you know, like whatever. Dangerous
0: element. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Volcom's the antithesis of the Acme surf company. You know, they're right. fully comfortable getting behind Kyborg. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, So you posted something on Facebook, Fergal Smith, the Irish surfer. He's got a web series called Growing. You and I have never talked about it on the show, but I've actually put it on my notes probably five times and we just never got around to it because I've been watching it on and off. I think he has 20 episodes or so out. I don't watch every single one of them, but I've definitely checked in with them occasionally. Have you been watching that series?
1: I just did that. I, I watched that one bit that oh, okay. I posted, and it was really cool. You know, and um. yeah,
0: he's this um, surfer in Ireland who just kind of self publishes this uh, YouTube series. They get insane waves in Ireland, like slabby, massive, as scary as anything we've seen coming out of Australia or Cold. elsewhere. Yeah, frigid, and then he lives this real
1: bohemian bohemian kind of like farmer but it's killing the
0: land it's not bohemian in the like hipster sense of orange county where you have everything at your disposal and you push it aside it's to just live the bohemian. way he lives
1: just the way you live it's in way, ireland that's the way it is yeah. there you, you have know, they, to farm to you get your food like, potato milk and
0: stuff. <laughs> 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 knit your own clothes yeah van life is a way of life because it's necessity you know yeah so it's rad to see he's a homegrown dude but um seems amazing and they I admire their surfing and how hard they have to work for it and how good they are yeah it's like I have all this stuff at my disposal and I'm not as good of a surfer
1: I think it's a I think it's a young man's game over there to to surf in those elements with that kind of power and those you know it, it again I, I think you don't see too many older surfers in Ireland
0: well that reminds me of uh gary linden this past week
1: i have him on my notes
0: yeah i mean gary linden 65 years old we had him i had him on the show a while back we talked about um big wave surfing and all that the dude 65 years old paddled in at Piahi got his first wave ever at Pihi. what do you have on it
1: basically the same thing you know that that here's our um the I guess the vice president of the Big Wave World Tour or whatever his title Found, is. Founder of it. Founder of it. And he, he has now surfed every wave that is on the tour, which I think is really cool. And I think that was one of his, you know, sort of... Um, Desires, you know, was to be able to say, Yeah, you know, I've surfed all of these waves. I can speak with some authority about them because I've actually ridden them. Right. And um, pioneered some of them. He was out there, right? And and he didn't have a board. Right. And um, Ben Wilkinson, one of these big Australian big wave surfer guys said hey Gary you can ride my board man let's go go do this and and Gary sat and watched it for a little bit and the opportunity came again when Ben goes come on let's go now or never you know like and so Gary goes you know what I'm gonna do this and he took Ben's board and shaped by I don't know Roger Hines oh really cool yeah oh that's great Yeah, yeah because I saw that board at
0: Roger's factory a while ago and I remembered it based on the paint job and actually Ben came out Um, Roger Hines did like this opening party at his shop and Ben Wilkinson came out to pick up that board and take it back to Hawaii because there was a big swell on the way so I remember seeing Ben pick up that board this was like a month ago and um, when I saw that image of Gary I was like dude Gary shapes his own boards and he makes incredible big wave boards but that looks like Roger Hines surfboard what the heck is going on so then I read the article then sent the photo to roger you know i'm like dude roger gary's riding your board but gary weigh, is probably five foot seven and weighs 160 pounds ben wilkinson is 230 and is six foot four you know so the board was built for big ben and um and definitely has more foam than gary needs but still kind of an interesting detail you know
1: yeah that's pretty cool i, I put a little instagram on it about, you know, we got a 42-year-old Kelly Slater getting a 10 at Pipe today. Last week, 65-year-old Gary Linden paddling into a wave of Piahi. Um It's very inspiring for those of us that are getting older. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, really amazing stuff. Um, what else do I have? I had another page, but I lost it.
0: Well, let me then um, bring you up to speed on a couple of things. I feel a need to touch base on the Ricardo dos Santos update, which we opened last show with. Um, And I think everybody's seen the news that Ricardo dos Santos was shot and killed. Some more details have come out about that that are worth discussing. Um, uh, Moro da Silva, which is Ricardo's uncle. He told the guardian that the exact situation that happened, we were unsure last time whether or not it took place on the beach and he was confronting the people who were doing drugs or it was at his house when they were doing construction, and that seems to be true. Ricardo's uncle said that um, Ricardo approached the car and asked the occupants to move. The suspect said, we're the ones who are in charge here ricardo's reportedly replied that hey this is my hometown and i've never seen you guys here and ricardo walked away back into his house that's when the man opened fire and actually shot ricardo in the back oh man so that's the true story as told by ricardo's uncle and the uh, coroner's report substantiates that telling which is that ricardo took two shots in the back wow from this drugged up military officer who is in custody and is going to get prosecuted and all that but i like i said i think it's worth noting to point out ricardo got shot in the back yeah wow. so that's makes it even worse total bummer um you see tyler wright
1: yeah <laughs> that was gnarly man. so
0: this week's update in people getting smashed on rocks news there's actually two updates i have for you okay did you see mark matthews
1: i heard about it i don't know if i saw it but um, tell me
0: about tyler wright
1: well tyler wright was in an event in Cronulla, right and the tide was high and there's this little sort of like a a concrete walking structure where um it might even be like a pool like a seawater ocean pool yeah and um the surf was up the tide was up and so the waves were breaking into it and she rode up onto it right and and she tried to retrieve her board, she which like, her leash was wrapped around one of the, you know, fence lines that yeah. kind of holds people back. Basically, her board got entangled in this piece of concrete and fencing as a wave smashed over her and just slammed her to the concrete, you know, in a violent yeah. manner. And um, she got she manned up. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty gnarly. Like she got to her feet on the concrete ledge where the high tide's breaking
0: up against it, but her board was in the actual pool itself. And the leash was tethered, had her tethered to it still. So it's like she tries to get her board as a wave's coming to then get onto her board and jump onto the oncoming wave, but isn't able to retrieve her board in time. So like half-heartedly flails into the oncoming wave.
1: And it slams her.
0: Smashes her up against the concrete wall again.
1: Oh, man. It's gnarly. It could have been really bad. It could have been broken ribs. Oh, yeah. It was gnarly. She kind of got away with it.
0: Mark Matthews was trying to escape uh, at hours. With the in, he was exiting his surf session, like climbing up onto the rocks, Uh and another wave kind of breaks. He's on his feet on the rocks, and if it were an ankle high wave that washed up, he'd be fine. But it's like a chest high wave that comes powering through and just cheese grades him across Uh, like across 20 yards of rock it's gnarly and then eventually like kind of gets to his feet and stammers up the rocks and he's like you could see him checking his hands i'm sure he got graded you know Uh, (laughs) it's pretty gnarly but two videos in one week of people getting smashed on rocks makes for a good week
1: there's a lot of good video out there floating around there's uh, my must-see moment is this guy russell burke burke Mm. australian south australian guy there's a vimeo that's floating around out there it's titled ghost yep russell burke yep and it's just got him at various spots all ledgy all gnarly he's 16 years old he's yeah super that's the charging thing he's 16 and one. i think one of the ways is ours the yeah. right that he's yeah, surfing and um it's pretty neat. I mean, if you want to get fired up, this kid, this kid charges. You know, there's every every little surf community has got that 16 year old where you're like, God, that guy's a madman. You know, <laughs> they seem to come every couple of years where I live. There's a couple of just hellmen.
0: Yeah, but to me, I I see the 16 year old ripper all the time doing air reverses. I never see the 16 year old charger. Kid.
1: Oh yeah, I like, see those guys. That's fewer and
0: far between. You know, yeah. like we had Jay Moriarty at Mavericks, that Tahitian kid, Manoa Drolay's younger brother. Mahiti or whatever his name is
1: yeah the I, I, where I live there's a couple little slabs so there's guys that are that are sort of chargers yeah um, guys like Brian Brian Conley when he lived where yeah. I lived, Brian was one of those guys um, Brian Andrew LaGreco was one of those guys I don't know if you know Andrew LaGreco Daryl yeah. Goodrum there's guys um, and then there's underground guys like um, uh, Ryan Birch's buddy Eric uh, he really charges hard there's a so I guess what I'm saying is in my little zone there's there are these guys where you're always like god that guy's 13 look at that kid (laughs) you know he's a (laughs) madman. well talking about birch
0: um we that's an opportunity to kind of showcase where we're at surfing heritage and culture center recording today's episode shout out to them they're doing an event this weekend yeah
1: saturday is the opening
0: are you gonna come i am i'm gonna come too yeah i want to come saturday night
1: with who I want to come record the thing just to have people
0: talk. I was going to talk to Paul Straub about it. Yeah. um, So what is it exactly? I know they're having Carl Ekstrom, Donnie Brink, Ryan Birch, and Tom Morey. Yes. Discussing.
1: Um, It's basically a look outside the box, outside the lines is what I think it's called, the Mm -hmm. exhibition. And it's just a look at different board design, not not your run-of-the-mill contemporary stuff, just like – Outside the lines, you know, a lot of asymmetricals. Of course, Tom Moray is a guy who's always had um, unique perspective on surfboard design. Um, and Brian Birch, too. And um, Brink, Donald Brink, uh, is a good friend of mine and yours and a guy who makes some really cool boards. So it's just kind of going to be a fun look at, at boards that, you know, are left of center regard, uh, in, in relation to, you know, what you'd see at a surf shop.
0: Is it like a Q&A and who's conducting the cues? You know,
1: I don't know that part. I okay. know we'll probably get a better understanding when we leave this recording here okay. and go go out there and visit it because they're probably setting up for it right cool. now. We'll be able to get a little behind-the-scenes look at it. But I imagine it's just a bunch of boards with some some uh, foam core storyboard stuff that kind of explains each board and each guy and what they're all about. And I'm sure there will be a Q&A that evening, the opening night, Saturday night. So for listeners... Um That is Saturday. February 7th. February 7th. And it's six to nine. Is it open to the public? I think it is, yeah. Is there a charge? There is a charge, charge? unless you're a shack member. For shack members, it's free, but I think it's, you know, 10 or 15 bucks. Cool. Yeah catered by mahi restaurant
0: i saw which is seal beach restaurant oh okay so food and drink and cool. everything so cool event i'll be here scott will be here so yeah. listeners should come on down yeah it's if gonna you're be local good. yeah if you're not local fly in for the event you know it's gonna be got cool. nothing
1: better to do yeah i'm psyched on it
0: i got something i want to discuss with you i yeah. don't know if you've been following it or not but it's so fascinating to me um becoming westerly windina yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hasn't, this is hasn't
1: a, he hasn't she already become Westerly, or dude, is she still becoming it? This is, is a, a heady ongoing topic, thing? man. It's it's you know it's an old topic. I mean, I've discussed this at length before. Before you were on the show, we used yeah. to talk about Westerly. But
0: well, the reason why it's relevant now is Jamie Brissick has a new book, right? And. Um, Jamie Bristic, the, the book actually just got released in Australia uh-huh. this week, and it it's will the story
1: of Westerly. It's the it's becoming
0: Westerly is the yeah, title. Yeah, it'll be available in the United States on July first. Um, Westerly. Do you want to give? The, let me give the background. Basically, there's yeah. a uh, innovative, drama prone Australian surfer from Gold Coast, Queensland, kind of in the. 60s he won some uh national titles in the 70s named peter druin invented the man-on-man format that's right amazing surfer uh he's the only surfer that we know kind of professional surfer to come out as transgendered so that's now where our story picks up
1: but he's not even transgendered isn't he becoming a woman like isn't he now a full-fledged woman? Like, didn't he do the operations and everything? And,
0: you're right. I, I don't know how we define transgendered.
1: I don't either, but... So,
0: I, anyway, he, he identifies he, as transgendered.
1: You're right. Peter was um, extremely important to competitive surfing um, by sort of coming up with the man-on-man um, format. He was the guy. This The reason we see man-on-man now is because of Peter Druin. And I believe the first one was at Burley Heads at... Um, the Coca-Cola event at Burley Heads was the first. It was like the seventy-seven or seventy-eight Coke mm-hmm. Coke or Coke event. Um, man on man and uh, an interesting guy uh, or woman at this point. But his stuff
0: prior to this transgendered thing is so interesting to me. Just him as a surfer. Well, he was a, like he was into an,
1: acting and stuff. Right? He was a,
0: like dramatic actor. He started all these businesses. I've known people like this in my life where it's like they really have this engine and charisma that you love and they'll get something perpetuated and going and then disappear from it without reason or without explanation. Maybe they burn a couple bridges along the way sometimes. There might be an element. There may be some elements of that in it. One thing that I loved about it, uh, about his background was he had long been retired from competitive surfing, but he called out Mark Richards in Mark Richards Prime, basically, in a man-on-man world Masters super challenge is what he called it in 1984. Yeah. Just like he's retired and gone away and just calls out The top guy, like calling out John. It'd Uh be like Sean Thompson calling out John John Florence right now. Like, hey, we're going to have a surf-off, man-on-man, world master super challenge. And so they actually did this event, and he hyped it up and promoted, took ads out in the magazines, and um, basically said in one of the magazines, I'm going to kill or be killed in this event (laughs) with ketchup splattered across his body, you know? and
1: He had a flair for the dramatic.
0: In the event itself, Mark Richards was way ahead on points. So he was gonna win, and in the final, Peter Druin claimed that he got struck by lightning, (laughs) (laughs) came, came into the beach, Called himself disqualified, and therefore we cannot declare a winner, and we're both going out of this equals.
1: <laughs> All planned, I'm quite sure.
0: I love it. He called it a tie, declared it a tie. The only server been... to
1: ever tie Mark Richards,
0: and people are like, "Well, there was no lightning." He's like, "Oh, you didn't see it. I got struck." You know. <laughs> so I mean, such an interesting character, and I love that detail of well, the story.
1: I'm going I'm to read the book. I'm I'm a big fan of Jamie well, Brissix and totally. So, so
0: Druin began to think about changing sexual identity. In two thousand three, after a burst eardrum caused by a wipeout at Burley Heads, he basically came to and just thought, "I'm different." That's the day my <laughs> life had changed. Peter had died, and Westerly. this girl popped out. <laughs> and um uh, Jamie Brissick did a Kickstarter for a documentary that he wants to make, which was fully funded. I think it was like a fifty thousand dollar target, and they made sixty or eighty thousand. So that is in production. But in the trailer for it. They're interviewing Westerly, and it's interesting to hear Westerly talk about Peter, referring to Peter as a separate person and saying, you know, Peter was such a lovely young boy, and he always struggled with this or that, but he was... Uh, it's really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, you know, the, I think what's fascinating here is 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 this person just so incredibly intelligent. You know, like... It's just, it's, is he crazy or is he so intelligent that, that it's just like beyond, beyond? Well, people- Or is he crazy, just like out there lunatic? They interview
0: um, Rabbit Bartholomew and a lot of Nick Carroll, a lot of professional, famous people that we know and whose personalities we know, and we respect their opinion. And some of those people even thought it was some sort of a hoax or even just an art project. like Peter's so out there and he's got a like you said flair for the dramatic he's actually got professional acting credits yeah that this could just be his greatest show yet
1: yeah you know exactly
0: and Jamie Brissick has spent six years developing this book and writing it I mean you, you
1: you gotta wonder like if this is something that you that you undertake would you want it to be so publicized like wouldn't you want your transformation to just be like really it's a personal thing it's a private thing like the fact that peter's like yeah let's do a book let's do a movie you know it's almost like he's just reaching for more attention like so is it an attention grab is it that sad that it's an attention grab or is this like legit or and is or like i said is he that intelligent or she that intelligent that um not only is she just following her heart and her gut and her internal motor on top of Saying, "Hey, this needs to also be uh, put out there and publicized for the benefit of more people like myself." Like, is is there some humanitarian basis to, to this? Is there some, or is it just like this hideous ego thing? That's an interesting point.
0: And one thing that Jamie said um, was that actually, Westerly doesn't identify with the trans transgendered community. Westerly is it's a not- girl no it's not no she doesn't even it's nothing to do with the movement or to shine a light on transgendered persons
1: it's all about shining light on him or her
0: it's just this is me
1: yeah that's i'm an
0: individual this is the way my life is it has. i don't i can't speak for transgendered community
1: well it'll be interesting to see how it's framed by jamie you know i hope well like i said jamie's pretty close to peter or to westerly and i hope he's not too close to have like the An objective. Gla- yeah, the glasses taken off. You know, the rose colored glasses.
0: All I know is he has done his research. He oh, spent there's no doubt. six
1: years yeah. with,
0: with Westerly. Yeah, This
1: story's been going for a of long time.
0: So. Yeah. It's so fascinating to me. Like all of all of it is fascinating, but to watch Westerly in the trailer for the documentary is uh a whole new level of interest. Seeing the way that Westerly communicates about not, Peter and it's
1: it's I just hope it's not this um self-glorification it thing. doesn't seem you know to what i be. mean like i don't want to get dragged into somebody waving the flag and saying look at me like Dude, there's it? so much other interesting stuff in the world than that then if look if i mean Western i might as well was, watch the kardashians you know if you're just well, gonna spe- wave speaking
0: w- of which <laughs> what Bruce Jenner
1: I know, is now
0: identifying as transgender and yeah. doing a documentary reality See, series I about just think the process. That, I
1: just think like, I'm not sure I want to waste my money on that. No, you know, but, I'd rather go learn about world war two.
0: Oh, well, <laughs> absolutely. Know? That has a lot of interest to me as well. But my, what's interesting, or if, if Westerly was selling a line of bikinis, as a part
1: of this, well, he's that selling then, something. See, he yeah, just because it's not is. a commercial. Well, he's selling himself. That's what my point. Is like he's he's selling. Look at me. That's what he's selling. You know, yeah, we think. Yeah. It could,
0: to me, it seems like Jamie pursued the story more than Westerly reaching out to Jamie
1: asking to tell the story. Well, let's. I hope that's the case. But we know he's a clever guy. You know, who knows totally. what kind of web he's weaved. They um they show in the trailer Westerly
0: paddling out for a session. <laughs> Like, walking down the beach in she a one-piece one bikini, yeah. and she even says to that the she, camera, she's like,
1: I'm going to go show
0: you how I can surf as good as Peter used to, but they never show her catch a wave.
1: Oh, that's the hook. They're trying to hook us. I, I
0: wanted to see. I'm like, dude, I, this is going to be so weird if this girl stands up and rips the crap out of a wave in a one-piece.
1: I wonder if she's going to surf like a female. It. It's all, is there such a thing? It's super intriguing to me. It is. It's that
0: was part of the Super Bowl thing, like I know, throw I saw like that. a girl sort of a thing. A How do you feel about that
1: backlash? I kind of felt like that was they were patronizing to the to the female gender. I thought it was. kind I do of too. lame.
0: Yeah, I do too. I. I,
1: uh, my, I know my wife thought it was lame too. She's like, "This is lame." Yeah, yeah. Throw like a girl. What the hell?
0: Right. Just throw like a human. Right. Exactly. Um, musty moment for me. I know you already gave yours was one wave that took place at Pipeline in this past week, surfed by two people.
1: Oh, that is awesome. I know what you're going to say, and it's on my list too. Mark Healy
0: shouts out to Michael Ho in advance. Mark Healy's sitting deeper, and he tells Michael Ho, "He's like, dude, I got a GoPro in my hand. I want you to take off on a wave. If the right one comes, you take off in front of me. I'm gonna get barreled behind you and shoot the thing on my GoPro." And they do it successfully. They both get proper barreled on the thing. Awesome. And uh, the the only they've got multiple angles of the wave, except Healy did not frame it properly while he was riding in the tube behind uh, M- Michael. So unfortunately, the GoPro footage isn't that killer. He posted a frame grab of it on his uh, Instagram. So we will, of course, regram that uh, at Surf Splendor and at Boardroom Show. And... Um, it's a cool frame grab, you know, deep in the barrel at pipe with Mike Ho getting shacked in it's front insane. of you, which is pretty rad. I've
1: seen the video. You didn't see the video? Yeah. yeah. The
0: video I got. But the video's the beach angles. Right. You didn't see the GoPro angle, did you? No. No. Nobody. He hasn't posted it because Mark Healy said it's kind of out of frame. But that's my must-see moment, dude. It's a proper barrel for both guys. Cool. More proper for Mark, but still pretty rad for, for Michael.
1: Um, do you have a Duke and Coop? Well, my Duke is Gary Linden, and I, and I think it's a co-Duke, because I'm going to throw Michael Ho in there, too, because these old guys are um, inspiring us. Um... Crap. Is that your phone? Dude,
0: I just blew it. Sorry. What would you do? Go ahead. Yeah, I'm getting a phone call from oh. my wife in the middle of the show. Oh, that's all right. Sorry about that.
1: Damn you, woman. <laughs> so that's my uh, Duke, Gary Linden and Michael Ho for charging at a ripe age.
0: Yeah, for sure. How old is Michael Ho?
1: I want to say he's like 56. Something like that.
0: Yeah. Um, he might
1: even be a little younger, but right around 56.
0: And Mason, by the way, I said placed second in the Vulcan Pipe Pro. Mason's ripping. Yeah, that, that was fun. Love it. Yeah. Riding giant long surfboards. I don't have a kook. <laughs> well, let me give you my duke. My duke My Duke is um, the Bure Beach Surf Club. Have you heard of the Buray Beach Surf Club? No. Well, they are my Duke of the Week. Right. They're located in Sierra Leone, okay. which is shocking. Um, hundreds of people are infected each week in Sierra Leone from Ebola. Yeah. It's like one of the epicenters of Ebola. The death toll was at three thousand at the time that this article was published. This article's in the New York Times, and it was sent to me by listener Brent Baker. He's like, dude, these guys are the perfect Dukes. Basically. This club was just getting going when Ebola hit, and the idea behind the club, founded in 2012, is run by a poor fisherman, kind of like a cooperative, was just to enhance ecotourism, protect Sierra Leone's pristine coastline, and create some jobs. Buray Beach is the only surf club in the country, and um, about 30 or so surfers kind of eke out a living by renting out boards and cooking up beachside meals to the tourists that come visit. But... There's no tourism anymore because of Ebola, so they're just kind of running this surf club. But it also, it's a it's a, a therapy basically for poverty-stricken people, of course, but also for the Ebola patients who exercise helps with the disease. You know, mm. so really interesting story on New York Times. I'll post a link to it on SurfSplendorPodcast.com. Um, that's my Duke, my kook is the Surfline Wave of the Winter program. I love the wave of the winner. I love seeing the winner. They make a cool video about it at the end of the year, but currently they have 138 entries into the thing. They need to freaking filter this. It's like they accept any wave submit. Anybody can submit a wave of the winner at pipeline into this thing. And so there's tons of entries and a lot of them are mediocre. A lot of them don't deserve to be wave of the winner entries. And a lot of the entries, there's multiple entries for the same wave filmed from different angles. Uh-huh. So it's like I'm watching entry number 65, and it's like, all right, there was a mediocre barrel by some no-name at Pipe. Click on wave number 68, different angle of the same mediocre wave. Yeah. It's like, dude, this is wasting my time.
1: Right. Surfline
0: right. needs to put a filter on this thing. Give me the 10 best waves of the year. That's what I want to see. All right, that's
1: that's makes sense. Yeah. Well, good. I, I um, Before we chime out, I'll say one thing. I watched a great documentary called Last Days in Vietnam, mm-hmm. about this, the um, basically the pullout from Saigon in 1975. Really great documentary. And then I'm reading a good book called The Guns of August, which is all the political drama leading up to 1914 and the start of World War mm. One so Those are my two things. And you
0: burned through a lot of books, dude. Yeah. Good for you.
1: Yeah. And um, I guess until next time, um, you can contact David. Hello at com and you can contact Scott at SurftalkSanDiego. <laughs> SurftalkSanDiego at gmail.com.
0: I love it. Sometimes I want to jump in and save you, but it's better just to let you try let that to figure brain, out your kind of, own email
1: address. Let that brain go.
0: <laughs> well, you never email yourself. How do you know? That's all
1: right. Well, okay. Until next time. Adios and aloha.
0: you know the drill everything that we discussed in this episode is on surf all the photos video on social media as well at surf splendor you can always follow us there also make sure to rate and review the show in itunes stitcher wherever you listen we've actually gotten some really nice recent um, well-written and thoughtful reviews so i'm very grateful for those please keep them coming of course that helps the show grow as i've said before so, and always just share the show with friends. That's also important. Give them Chess Smith's episode. Or maybe they want to know something about Firewire surfboards. Bang, here you go. We got more than you need to know about Firewire surfboards. Thanks, Mark Price, for coming on the show. Thank you, Scott Bass, for helping out and conducting that interview. Thank you, listener, for tuning in and sharing. Until next week, this is your host of Surf Splendor, David Scales, saying, shred on.